0: Welcome to Her Story, the history of Southeast Asia told from Her Perspective. We'll discover historical figures, matriarchal societies, and contemporary female icons, and maybe learn about ourselves along the way. I'm Agnes Ramirez. In this special two-part episode, we're going to talk about the Indonesian heroine Radene Jenkaftini with our guest, Priscilla Bertha. She's a third-year undergraduate student from the Department of International Relations at the Faculty of Social and Political Sciences of Universitas Kachamada. She's interested in Southeast Asian and environmental studies. She went on all-girls senior high school, which changed her perception about the meaning of women's emancipation and the importance of gender equality in Indonesia. This is part two. Cartini passed away very early. She was only 25 when she died of complications after the birth of her first child. But J. H. Abendanen, former director of the Department of Education, Religion, and Industry arranged for the publication of her letters in 1911 under the title, Through Darkness into Light. The book enjoyed great popularity and generated support in the Netherlands for the Kartini Foundation which in 1916 opened the first girls' school in Java, thus fulfilling Kartini's ambition. Her ideas were also taken up by Indonesian students attending Dutch universities. In 1922, an Indonesian translation of the letters was published. Although Indonesian nationalist aims went far beyond her ideas, she became a popular symbol and her birthday celebrated in Indonesia as Kartinian. Joining us again is our special guest, Bertha. Have you read the letters of a Japanese princess and what can
1: you tell us about it? Okay, it's going to be a long explanation. Yes. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, letters of a Japanese princess is a combination of letters that Gardini sent to her European friends, including Stella. Zehandulaar, and a- Abendanon. I'm sorry if I mispronounced the names. Uh, during the period of 1899 to 1904, or around a week before she passed away. So, oh. actually, this book was first published in 1911 under the title of "Out of the Dark Comes the Light" or, uh, yeah, habis gelap terbitlah in Bahasa Indonesia. Um, so the letters consist of his various thoughts and ideas about marriage, women emancipation, her critics, her tradition and religious practices that are related to marriage, and also her view on nationalism and the usage of languages that are related to colonialism, and all of that uh, are beautifully wrapped with bold and evocative word of a Japanese young lady, which is quite rare. It was rare at the time. And she had this overflowing passion to study. And even she repeated several times in the letters that she wanted to go to the Netherlands to study, but she even couldn't go to Batavia or, or now Jakarta to study because she had to be secluded as a part of Japanese tradition uh, to prepare uh, young women to be good wives in the future. Uh, But I think if I'm not mistaken, the seclusion lasted for around four years. Uh, However, I think the most interesting part of this book is that Kartini lost her family that much. She loved her father and respected him the most. And, uh, from the letters, I got a sense that she was one of the dearest children of her father, although she was a girl. And Kartini wanted to make changes in the society, but she was pressured. And she knew that any changes would hurt her father, whom she loved the most. So, uh, at some point. In the letters, uh, I found that Cartini probably probably felt that her parents could become the obstacles of her struggle, but at the same time, she still had the duty as a child to take her, to take care of her parents, who supported her so much, and I think this became the biggest dilemma that Cartini faced, because this book is a biography that I found that Cartini changed. I mean. Her vision remained the same, but the way she um, delivered the letters was changing. I mean, in the first year, she was more bold. Uh, In my opinion, she was more bold. She didn't believe in love and marriage. She criticized polygamous marriage. But at the very end of the book, I found that Cardini started to accept that she didn't have any choice besides getting married with the man that her uh, parents chose. And this man was her father's friend, the Regent of Rambel, And uh, Kartini became his fourth wife. And, uh, and I think it's interesting that actually, the first and dearest wife of Kartini's husband, who had already passed away because, uh, before he married Kartini, was a big fan of Cartini. And yeah, she wanted to be friends with her and help her in educating her children. I mean, uh, her husband's children. And, uh, but uh, because of that, I believe that Cartini didn't regret the fact that she married this man. As they actually shared similar thoughts and ideas. And, he supported her to open a school for girls and uh, at the very end of uh, the book, actually I felt that Kartini changed her mind and she felt that she was respected, welcomed, and loved by her husband and their family. I mean, their children. I mean, the children from uh, of his husband, from the bravest marriages. yeah, and she was very happy when she was expecting actually her stepchild. And I also found a very interesting quote. Uh, it's, I should teach my children, boys and girls to regard one another as equal human beings and give them always the same education. Of course, following the natural disposition of each. And I think, uh, because of this. Um, yeah, I think that family, I mean, Mm -hmm. after, after she got married, uh, this marriage, uh, changed Kartini's perspective on marriage because, because even, even the marriage lasted only for less, Mm -hmm. uh, less than a year, but I think she was happy. She was not that happy. But she was quite happy. So you you
0: feel that she she uh her miscon she, she had misconceptions about marriage that were sort of changed when she
1: she married who seems to be the correct person. I think so, because uh in in Japanese proverbs we mm-hmm. have this proverb tersno jalaran scopolino it's like it's uh, it's usually used in arranged marriages so uh you can love someone if you are living with them continuously like every day if you live with i mean like if you're a girl and then you live with a boy even though you don't love him but if you live with him every day and I mean, living like, a spouse, you will feel that kind of love. I don't know what form of love, but but that's how uh, the older generations. Don't... But
0: how about you? Like, if you uh, if you had to go into an arranged marriage now, would would that proverb apply to you? Do you think
1: or um honestly, uh, <laughs> honestly, I think my parents won't. I think my parents will never make an arranged marriage for me. Absolutely. Because what if,
0: what if they, I don't, just completely, completely hypothetical with that proverb. Um, do you think you would, you would feel the same? Like you could learn to love someone, um, even if
1: it were an arranged marriage because you live together? I don't know. Probably it depends if the man has the qualities and the principles that I can agree with, it's possible, like, because all of my grandparents, I mean, my grandparents from my father and my mother, both of them were, uh, they were going through arranged marriages and I found that they, I mean, those couples lived happily even until now, uh, well, my, uh, both of my grandmothers. Uh passed away more than a decade ago, but they are still single i mean my 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 grandfathers they didn't remarry, they didn't get married again yeah, and they they said to me that my grandmothers were the only loves of their lives, yeah, something like that, so yeah, I think uh the acceptance that happened in the case of Kartini happened because she married the correct person the person that um uh has the same yeah shared the same right how relevant
0: is Kartini's story to you as a modern Indonesian woman do you in some way feel the same pressure she did to get married or what parts of her story do you most relate to it um,
1: well, about getting married, Um, actually, my, because my family is a modern Japanese family, and I also came from a devoted Catholic family, and it's actually not an unusual combination in Indonesia, mm-hmm. but because I'm the firstborn and I'm the first daughter of my family, so actually my parents are counting on me, and they want me to like pursue higher education and, yeah, you know, fulfill my potential, something like that. But they also want me to choose whether I want to get married or to join a monastery and, like, dedicate my life to God, something like that. What have you, <laughs> you? Um, i I'm, I'm, uh, To join a mat- monastery, I need that call from God, but I didn't have it until now, I think. But like, um, well, my parents, I believe that my parents will never put me into an arranged marriage, but my my at least my mother said that babies are cute. And like in the future, grandchildren will be there because happiness and something like that. So I think I will get married at some point in my life. After the PhD, <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> but yeah, I think f- probably for other families, I mean, in Indonesia, I think it's not an obligation for girls to get married nowadays. I mean, different, it's, it's different from what Kartini experienced, but in the case of my family, If in the future, I find a very, very kind and responsible husband and build like a very beautiful, happy family, Mm -hmm. my parents will be very happy. I think I can relate that to Katini's story. I mean, like her father supported her, but at the same time, he wanted her to get married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's how it works. How popular
0: is Kartini today? What did you personally do on her last birthday?
1: In Indonesia, well, almost all schools celebrate her birthday by holding a, cele- a ceremony. So uh, we usually call it Kartinian or like celebrating, yeah, Kartini's day. So because she remains the most famous heroine in Indonesia, uh, there are a lot of movies about Kartini here. Uh, The government put Kartini's names and biography in every history books that I've ever met. If it talks about national heroes, then it will talk about Kartini. On her last birthday, I took a picture of using kebaya, it's, uh, our traditional clothes. So actually I was questioning myself, why do women during Kartinian always being associated as only wearing kebaya? Is that a symbolism of a Japanese woman? Or is it a symbolism of women emancipation or it has, does it have bigger meaning? It's still. This question haunts me, but, but like, I, I couldn't find the answer yet. Mm-hmm. It's only like, uh, I might say it's like a tradition in my, not in my nuclear family, but like my family uh-huh. that usually people, I mean, usually my mother and my, my aunts use kebaya during a uh, Kartinian. I, I don't know if it's like only the tradition or is it celebrating something beyond that. Okay, I'm questioning myself. I'm I'm confused. <laughs> I took a picture of using kebaya and just posted it on Instagram with an unusual caption that I, I thought for a really long time. I started to think about the caption like six months or seven months ago. So the caption, uh, uh, let me rephrase that. Wanita, wanita tata, So, um, it's like the mixture between Japanese and Indonesian language. So, wanita means women. Wanita means ready to be arranged. Wanita means ready to arrange. So. Actually, in Japanese tradition, we call wanita or women as wanidata or ready to be arranged. So, women is someone who is ready to be arranged. But I put another caption. So, uh, women is a uh, is someone who is ready to arrange, not only to so let's ar- talk about
0: ready to be arranged. How, what does that mean for you personally?
1: Ready to be arranged. It means that, um, women are ready to be arranged by probably her family, their families, or their partners, like women, woman is someone who needs to obey another person, so she is ready to be arranged. She, she will be arranged. The next,
0: so the next part of your caption, um, but you are also ready to arrange. Oh, how, 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 what's uh what does that mean to you? What, what are you, um, your own personal goals, um, thinking about what you, what you were feeling that day and, um, what does that last part
1: of the caption mean to you? Uh, so personally, I think ready to arrange means that now uh, as a modern Japanese woman, as a modern woman, I, and also other women, has uh, have the power to do whatever that probably we couldn't think we could do quite pursuing PhD degree, something like that. It was probably like 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's not that far, but, uh, it was quiet, uh, it's an impossibility, almost impossibility for women to pursue PhD, um, degree, but for now. Even though like a lot of Indonesian women de- uh, didn't really think about that, but all of us have the same, um, chance to pursue
0: it. We, you respect tradition, but at the same time you are, uh, you do have your own goals and, um, you yeah. are working hard towards them. You are, when are you graduating? Uh, I, hopefully next year. Uh, For the listeners of this podcast, I met Bertha during international summer school and I was uh, doing my master's, but she was also, but you were, you were only in second year at the time. Yeah, she's one of the most active and most intelligent people in that class. So that's the truth. (laughs) For the, I guess my last question, what's the biggest lesson you take away from the story of Radhina Jankartini?
1: Um, so actually there are a lot of lessons that we can take from the story of Kartini. Uh, oh. the first one is that, uh, uh, her braveness and dedication for girls' education. And also her passion to create more equal environment to both boys and girls. And I think, I believe that Kartini would be happy. If she had a chance to see the current condition in Indonesia, where there are quite a lot of female ministers in the government and they led, they lead those ministries that were, and I think is, are still considered as very masculine sectors, like the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and also the Ministry of Finance, but. I believe that her struggle doesn't end here. And uh, right now the society in Indonesia should still struggle for gender equality. And I'm sad that actually there is a trend of teenage marriage in Indonesia nowadays. With like religious and tradition excuses. And I think uh, this could be a cultural degradation in the struggle for gender equality. Because young, girl, young girls couldn't pursue higher education because of these practices. And actually I hope, I really, really hope that Kartini's legacy and uh, including her thoughts and values are still upheld by Indonesian younger generation, not only by best people, those people who were striving for gender equality in the past 50 years that's a really great way to end this episode. Thank you, Bertha. I'm
0: really happy that you uh, came on this podcast. I hope everybody listening to this would take away something uh, that they resonate with in the story of Pradhana
1: Jankartini. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's been a pleasure.
0: Introducing a podcast like this takes a lot of time and research. If you like what we do and want to support the next episodes, head on over to our Patreon. Give as little as $1 to get a copy of the show notes with all the references, access to the close friends' Instagram stories, and a shout out at the end of the next episode. And if you can't, just tell your friends about this podcast. That works too. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Her story C pod. That's Her story, S-E-A, Pod. In the next episode, we'll meet the Sisters, heroines of the first Vietnamese independence movement who headed a rebellion against the Chinese Han Dynasty overlords and briefly established an autonomous state. There are so many more stories to tell, and we're just getting started. This podcast was written, hosted, and edited by Agustin Ramirez. Special thanks to Kara and Mando for supporting this podcast on Patreon, and Bertha for sharing her thoughts on Radina Kaftini. Shout out to GF of Synchronicity Events for the ad and the Creepy Conversations podcast who mentioned us in their 24th episode. Go check them out. See you next time.